This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Let me be clear. You are listening to the Red Box podcast from The Times. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics podcast from The Times. I'm Matt Chorley. Welcome to this part one of our end of term special, casting a critical eye back over the first half of what we are already calling the most dramatic year in British politics since last year. Joining me to examine the big beasts and small fry who make Westminster tick are three professional prickers of political pomposity. Jan Ravens, the impressionist who's given voices to our leaders on spitting image and dead ringers. Patrick Kidd, the sketch writer and diarist for the Times, who gives them a kicking in print. And Peter Brooks, the Times cartoonist, who mocks the mighty in beautiful watercolours. Welcome to you all. Um, I just want to start off with you by just discussing how you go about sending up a politician. You obviously, you all do it, but in very different ways. And what do you look for uh, when you're going to stick the boot in? Let's start with you, Jan. Well, I think it, it depends on, on the in in the polit- on the politician it depends on the politician uh with Theresa May for example it was very hard to get a handle on her because I was longing to do her you know when she was home secretary and I was you know saying to all the writers of dead ringers come on we've got to do Theresa May you know there's few enough women we've got to do Theresa May but of course she never said anything <laughs> you know she never said a bloody word she'd always send James Brokenshire out to do the immigration <laughs> figures which were inevitably terrible and and she just sort of hid away um and uh but when she um, sort of inexplicably and as much a surprise to herself as anybody became uh, leader and uh, therefore prime minister when she uh, stepped out on the step or, or you know on the, at the front of Downing Street and made that speech and it was you know do you know that if you're born poor you will die up to four years earlier than other people if you're black you'll be more poorly treated by the criminal justice system than if you... You know, she just went into this sort of whole Francis of Assisi kind of rhetoric thing. And it was the sort of longest, really, that I'd ever heard her talk, apart from when she was bollocking the police federation. And, um, <laughs> and, and what sort of struck me was the sort of... that it was all about tension. It's all about tension with her. Um, and it's all about embarrassment, I think. It's all about um, not being spontaneous. Um, it's, it's all about um, not feeling authentic with what she says. I mean, I, I think, you know, she has this very, very tense mouth, uh, which is almost sort of like, you know, she wants to smile, but the rest of her face won't let her. And um, and this diaphonic two-tone voice. But I think what the, uh, what the voice and her physicality says about her 
politically is this um, the idea that she she's not a conviction politician that she's not she hasn't really got a plan I don't think she's she's there it's it's a pragmatic sort of thing she she was the person that was there at the time she's taken it over she's I mean she's doing her best uh, she's not inspired and I and I think that that disconnect you know that having after the whole disastrous election campaign where she had to sort of you know parrot strong and stable endlessly I think she um, I think you know even she said you know I, I was really fed up with how, how often I had to say it, it didn't feel <laughs> right and we were all thinking you know exactly that you know uh, weeks before um, I, I think she um, I, I think she doesn't she she hasn't got uh, a thing that she really wants to say and so she says what she's told and she takes advice often from the wrong people um, so how long do you sort of spend studying Theresa May do you, do you watch like that speech endlessly or do you just I, I watched it quite a lot I mean it, some characters leap out at you and some characters don't uh, she didn't leap out at me and all the time she was Home Secretary I really struggled with her and I used to sort of use she used cliches a lot even then you know, well going forward and circling back you know let me be clear that you know and it was it was all sort of just like gobbledygook and cliche um, but I think you know now she's she's been revealed as a sort of a woman who's almost embarrassed by what she's having to do and, and I feel I feel there's two sort of you know, I, f I feel sort of empathy for her as a woman uh, as, and as a human being. I feel like, you know, she's she's been brave, you know, she's been brave just to get out. You know, when Cameron got the referendum result, you couldn't see him for dust in her right. There we go. That's me done. Whereas she's kind of stuck it out. And yet I feel that if she was really brave and really... Uh, you know, then she'd have done something more about getting some decent negotiators in, you know, for Brexit, and she would she would have felt confident to kind of say, okay, you know, we're we're in this mess now. Let's make a better job of sorting it out. So, actually, while we're talking about Theresa May, is she an easy person to sketch when you're writing the sketch in the Times? Not for me, actually, because I I don't I never like to repeat jokes, which is probably a, a bad thing. You you can do the voice over and over again, and Peter, you're you're drawing her every day. And I try and find a different way to describe it. One of my favourite ways of describing her was being like the sort of the Madame in a, in a particularly snooty French bistro. Mm -hmm. She's got that sort of beakish look to her, and she comes out and tells you that nothing's mm -hmm. on the menu and how dare you ask. Mm -hmm. But but my colleague John Crace, a lovely man yes. and a dear friend on the Guardian, came up with the thing that defines her, the Maybot. Yes. And I saw he wrote this over and over again. And I started to think, oh come on, John, think of something new. But actually, it just goes to show you need yes. to repeat it. You need to keep saying it, to drawing. It. Um, and so there we are, giving her criticism for saying strong and stable over and over again, in the hope that at the fifteenth time someone will listen and actually if we're, if we're mocking them sometimes we need to mock over and over again in the same fashion and all credit to John for yes. for getting to the nub of her the and Maybot he, works yes, brilliantly. Yes the Maybot is, 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 is very sort of it's very resonant isn't it and, and also he wrote a piece the other day where he described uh, used this phrase that I thought was so damning and I wondered if it would have been used of a man this phrase inner mediocrity <laughs> and and she, I, I see what he means. I mean, she can't be a totally mediocre person. She's the blooming prime minister, you know. <laughs> but but um, it's not a time of giants in politics. No, is it? it really isn't. No, uh, but inner inner mediocrity is such a terrible thing to say about somebody, isn't it? It's so damning. When obviously it should be said about Liz Trust rather than Theresa May. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, if we're gonna, yeah. Uh, um, Peter, Theresa May, is she a good person to draw? Oh, very. Mm. Yeah, what, without, make, what makes her without a doubt? What makes good. it good? Well, the strange thing is, I mean, uh, listening to what Jan was saying about her being 
Home Secretary. Of course, I, I and other cartoonists drew her loads of times as Home Secretary. But it's not until the camera is mm. on them, until the spotlight is on them, that you actually concentrate in a you know sort of meaningful yeah. way. It's the same with Trump and others as well, mind you. Uh, with her, um, it's a question of... Um, I don't draw as... Uh, I mean, I, I have done characters as running gags, if you like, before. Um, I did Ed Miliband as Wallace, of Wallace and Gromit, for five years. And, <laughs> and that I, really... I mean, that really stuck and, and yeah, it did. damaged I, him. I, I think it did. And, uh, you know, sort of... It, and it did have some sort of purpose in terms of cartooning for me that every time <laughs> I wanted to draw him that's the way I, I, I drew him but I haven't done that with and with Cameron I drew him as a public school toff and Clegg was his fag so there was that running gag not all the time but quite frequently but with her I haven't come up with anything only because I think her actual look itself is almost enough she has her own props she's got obviously those leopard print shoes that you could just show the bottom of her ankles downwards and you'd know who it was and people do that and I've done that a few times I've had her in a coffin with her feet sticking out and she's obviously Theresa May you know um, and you can do that with um, uh, other you know she wears these ridiculous um, sort of necklaces which are huge chunky necklaces I'm told that she wears them to divert attention away from her beaky nose yeah well but the trouble is when you draw her you draw yeah, her with a beak beak as well <laughs> the beaky uh, nose is and the asymmetric of, neckline that's yeah. a favourite yeah. as well. yes. yeah. dramatic jackets and like that. two short skirts I mean for a how dare I put it this way but I will for a lady of her age you know, I think it's a bit daft you know pretty awful I think I think it's I think it's quite interesting her clothes sense I think she's got better clothes sense than I mean of course the annoying thing is that as a woman your clothes sense is commented on I mean I don't think her skirts are too short I mean she's got she's got good legs she's you know that she doesn't wear them above the knee she wears them on the knee oh she does she does wear them above. The, above the, well, they appear above. The <laughs> well, maybe they, they, go, they yeah, slip exactly. up when and she sits down. And there's the odd yeah. attempt at decolletage as well. And, yes, you know, yes, there was. Ra- the, yes, like that, that yeah. was a rather Which is daft, ill-advised. You know, I just don't think. You know, she's sort of acting. It, it, well, you know, it's a sort of minor point because we're just talking about appearance and not not. Policy. Do you think there's a gallantry issue though in in referring to a female politician's appearance? So, for instance, at her first PMQs, I noticed she was wearing these scarlet shoes and, and her finger fingertips ma- matched it. And I wrote in a line about being red in hoof and claw. Mm-hmm. And I got comments underneath from people saying, you wouldn't yeah. talk about a man's appearance. Yeah, so I, said, well, I, I write about Boris's hair all the time. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, about... And if David Cameron had turned up with red there. fingernails and matching shoes, yeah, I would definitely probably, write about, you probably would have written about it. But, but, I think but some right. readers felt that you shouldn't make any comments that Theresa May is more than shoes. Which, of course, she is. Well, she is more than shoes. And, and I, do, I do think that, you know, the kitten heels did become a really boring joke quite quickly. Yeah, you yeah, know, it's like did, Trump's yeah. small hands. Yeah. You know, you think, yeah, can you think of another one now, please? You know. Well, he's got other things as well of course you mm. know those are just a small part of, yes, <laughs> yes, of what yes, you're drawing you know? and I so mean, who who else is good who who else do you well, like do you Trump. like doing trouble oh yeah yeah i mean again um i mean it's been put that you know it's difficult to do a joke about a mm. joke which is true uh because he's his own sort of satirical comment in a way hardly any need for the rest of us you just write down what he says and that's enough yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, but he is great to draw because he's got uh, i mean what happens uh, for people like myself i think is that first of all when they're new on the stage you have to get a likeness. Sounds obvious, but you do it. It's not always easy. But that's the first thing. And then you gradually add to it because you notice things. There are things like with Trump, he's got this 
orange complexion, which we all know about, but he's also got these white circles round his eyes, which presumably are from the sunbed, you know, yes. wearing, wearing yeah. Uh, yeah. specks, uh, dark specks, and, you know, they come off and then there's only a white yeah. there. So you notice that, and that's the way you draw it. Same with his hair, of course, which uh, I think those of us who have to study th- these things knew that it was real early on. Whereas, you know, when he was becoming president, there was this big, you know, debate, is it real, that hair and all the rest of it? Well, it is. If you were going to have fake, you wouldn't have <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The money he's got, you're you going to have all that. But it, that's good to do. Is the key for, for you, in a way, is to spot the things that the reader hasn't spotted? And that's what gives the lightness. And it's presumably the same with I you, think it's, Well, it is. I mean, it's interesting uh, what you're saying there about, you know, having to... You have to get the lightness and then you build on it. And that's sort of the same with a, yeah. with a vocal or physical impression. Mm-hmm. You want mm-hmm. to make it accurate, but you have to add something. Yes. You have to be saying something yes. about it. Yes. And, and I think with, a, with an impression, it's like you, 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 you see people so that they say, um, you know, they, they recognise it. You make, you make people recognise something that they they see and they and they they recognize it but they just hadn't realized they it hadn't before so, it so before, you, yeah. you sort of yeah. you crystallize yeah. it for them yeah, you sort true. of put it in a little nugget and you go oh yeah she does that yes. uh yeah. you know and, and that's what's kind yeah. of a joy of it really is that yeah. people go, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. you know and, and they get that sort of pleasure in the recognition that's and right. in the sort of layer that you're adding yeah. i um, mean because in both our things we're sort of yeah. we're saying you know here it is yeah. but here, here's the added value I was just going to say, just to add to that, about with Trump, you get the whole package because it's not just the look, which is what we've been talking about, but you get the speech as well. And for someone like me who has to have captions, mm. that's kind of important. Uh, and it doesn't happen with anyone else, or it doesn't with me. But with him, you know, all the O's are elongated. <laughs> Every second word is beautiful, mm. and so on and so on and so on. And uh, it just adds to the fun if you like yeah. or, or taking mm. the piss a little bit more uh, widely you know when you can do that with um, you know do a bit of what you do really basically mm. not with Trump obviously. did it become easier for you when you were doing Dead Ringers on television when you were having to think about how they look as well as how they sound did that make you get into the character more or was it actually an extra layer that be- well, it was, detracted from the voice of it's, it? it's an interesting question because it sort of divides people down the middle really lots of people used to sort of say I much preferred it on radio because you could you know you, you had the voice and you could you could imagine the real person uh, in, in your head as, as the listener whereas with the television while it was great fun to dress up as these people it was also very expensive and very time consuming um, uh, and, and always when you you know you dress up if I were to dress up as Theresa May, which I have done, there are some a couple of films on YouTube of of me as Theresa May, and and you know it's not a bad likeness. You know it's a pretty good wig, and I you know put the eye bags on and all that. <laughs> um, bless her, and uh, you know it's not a bad likeness. But but on something like Dead Ringers, you know, people would say, well, you know, you didn't quite look like that person, and you didn't, and, and you, mm-hmm. you'd, you'd have spent like three, you know, or four hours having a prosthetic put on, you know, in order to. Um, in, in order to get an accurate likeness and, and sometimes it sort of isn't worth it I mean I, I used to sort of think with Rory Bremner you know very often the most impressive part of his show was the monologue where he just went from one to the other to yeah. the other to the other yes. to the other and yes. you kind of no dressing you up, felt yeah. the character yes. I, I mean I, I loved yeah. doing Dead Ringers on the telly I, I did absolutely love it and it was it was great fun dressing up and, and the great thing about telly of course is that you well, in those days, you reached a wider audience. I mean, now I think the radio, our, our radio podcast is the most downloaded, the BBC's most downloaded programme. 
and so it does reach a huge audience and I think radio started to do that again. I must say I've recently discovered it's excellent for listening to while jogging. Oh really? Well because it's sort of I sort of forget that I'm jogging I hate jogging yeah but I sort of forget about it because I end up sort of laughing along to die oh, right. or you feel you're being pursued by Theresa May and Rob exactly Foster. yeah I've got to get, <laughs> got to get home first. Um, who to what extent Patrick when you're writing a sketch do you feel you're making a political point? Is it just about the jokes or do you convey your own sort of political persuasion or views? Good question. I will always find that whichever way the column might lean, I'll get comments underneath from people saying that I'll be biased against the other way. Um, I suppose, unlike Peter and and, and Jan, I often focus on the peripheral characters that no one's ever heard of. And that's part of the fun. So actually it's not about... Um, making a political point about what was happening yesterday, but looking at the sort of the eccentric farmyard creatures who, who are, are, are around <laughs> it. And so I quite enjoy... You know, you're not really making a political point when you're writing about yeah. Jacob Rees-Mogg or Michael Fabricant or someone like that. But there are times when I, I watch PMQs, for instance, and I will think Corbyn's had a dreadful day or May's had a really good day or vice versa. And I'll write that and then I'll get terribly worried about people thinking I'm trying to... When really I just want to write jokes about it. Yeah. Um, well, there is at the moment... Mm. I've, I've, was having an argument with somebody with Twitter on about this only this morning. This idea, and in fact, Hugo Rifkin's written it in the in the Times as well. This idea that if you criticise one party leader, there's this sort of culture now that you must therefore be a fully paid up member oh, of the yeah. of the mm. opposing party. Yeah. Because all you're doing is passing comment. Yeah. Oh, somebody's had a bad day, or somebody's. They mm. never notice the times you've criticised the other side. Oh, no, so there's exactly one reader. Right. <laughs> Hello, Nigel, if you're listening. Who, if I'm if I'm rude about Corbyn, will always say I'm a Tory stooge. But when I'm rude about Theresa May he just won't leave a comment at all. Yes. yes. And, and that's slightly irritating because I feel I'm fairly equal opportunities rudeness. <laughs> um, but but you know, that, that's part of the game. I, I just try and be be fair. I'm trying to report it as I see it. Obviously, but, I think... If, but I do if, the if, joke when, matters more. Yes, the joke, the joke matters more. And also, I think if there's a... Um, a, a party in government, you're bound to criticise them more because you know mm, they're, they're, doing, they're doing, yeah. they're doing yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you're bound to criticise them more. I mean, on, on Dead Ringers, you know, I, I do Theresa May, but I also do Diane Abbott, mm. who you know has great difficulty waking up. <laughs> oh, I see and that from that the is, gallery. Watch her, is, you see her head nod. That is the key. You know, that is the key to doing Diane Abbott. It's just like you know, always just been woken up from really nice now. <laughs> <laughs> do you is that the sort is that sort of BBC balance? If you if you do Theresa, you've got to do Diane. How much well, of that think, concern I, is there at the Dead Ringers about? There, there is quite a quite a bit of concern. I mean, the BBC is you know, I think the BBC is very much sort of on the back foot uh, at the moment. You know, it's very it's it's very keen to be seen to be equal opportunities rudeness, as uh, as Patrick so succinctly puts it. Um, I think you know you you do have to if. if I mean, and there are some programmes, I think, where you can say, well, you know, you're, you're all a bunch of lefties. But I don't think that's true on Dead Ringers. And I think, you know, that there's been a lot of um, stuff about Corbyn and um, uh, and about Diane Abbott, uh, as well as all the stuff about Theresa May. But obviously, yeah, as I say, the government's bound to get most of the stick. Mm. Presumably, your, is your job more fun because we've got a female Prime Minister? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, about bleeding time you yeah. know because when I was doing Spitting Image um, the uh, Margaret Thatcher was played by Steve Nallen 
You know, it's played yeah. by a man, and you know, indeed, portrayed as a man. You know, where she she had the suit on. You know, and the and the cabinet were all complete wimps, and and Steve Nallen did did her brilliantly. But it was slightly galling that you know our first female prime minister played, played <laughs> you, by a man. Wait all that time, but still, hell, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and with the dynamic, there is this sort of she obviously endures huge amounts of unacceptable abuse on social media mm. and that sort of thing. Do you worry when you're doing her? that you're feeding into and I know a couple of times I've stepped in for Patrick doing the sketch and, I, and when I've written about her in the Red Box email there's feeling slightly nervous about saying things about Diane because yeah. of this mm. well I sort of I concern. have this line where I say uh, I refuse to be judged by the colour of my skin it's only by the stupidity of the things that I say. <laughs> um, and, and, and I think you know she you know she does get a lot of really really terrible abuse partly because she's black and partly because she's a woman and you know mainly because she's both um and that is absolutely totally unacceptable and i i would never make a joke about about her being black except to say that you know it it isn't about her being black it's about the fact she hasn't got a very good eye for, for detail and she sometimes seems to be rather lazy and not have a grasp of her material and um you know that's what you're yeah. satirising mm. with her, uh, and this idea, this sort of oh, sort of idea mm. that you know she's just been woken up. <laughs> it's sort of like you know, it's I mean, and, and then of course when she revealed that she was ill, actually, I was thinking, oh my goodness, I hope she hasn't got you know something really. I mean, diabetes is not great, but it's manageable. And Theresa May has it, and Theresa May has it, a different and time. different time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I censored myself over Diana. I, I rarely feel I go too far but it was her first home office questions after the election and I was up in the gallery in, in the chamber and for a start Jeremy Corbyn was sitting on the front bench which was weird you don't need the leader of your party there to hold your hand and she got up to the dispatch box and I suddenly became aware she had her hands clasped and she was really shaking and as the question went on it was like that and I watched it back on television to see it wasn't a mm. trick and I started to write, you know, she... And then I thought, gosh, is this a, a symptom of her diabetes? And I googled and said, camp. I thought, well, perhaps that's being unfair. I mean, mm. I suspect she was just terrified because she'd had such criticism. But So I put, she looked visibly nervous. Mm. But I didn't start talking about the handshake because I thought I thought that was going too far. Too cool. I then did the sketch and... and my regular reader, Nigel, who hates every time I read about Corbyn, <laughs> said, well, I know she didn't write about Theresa May today. <laughs> and, and, and I replied saying, she wasn't in the chamber. She didn't need to go there and hold Amber Rudd's hand like Jeremy Corbyn did. But that is an example of how yes. you, can, you can never win. Yes. Um, but I mean, do you ever sense yourself, Peter? Do you feel you go, go too far? And um, Yeah. I, I, I do you get feedback personal, from your victims? Uh, not from the victims, just their supporters. No, very rare. Although I, I do hear by your know, sort of whatever trail it is sometimes <laughs> that uh, you know when I've um, upset somebody I did with Nick Clegg a, a fair bit actually I used to, used to get messages about not not from his camp necessarily but from people that he took against how did you I, portray him as David Cameron's fan oh right he, yes he's always being beaten up and sort of <laughs> his feet held to the fire and you know sort of uh, given uh, sort of bog baths and all the rest of it. Oh. Uh, well, you know, he sort yeah. of kind of came in for that. Uh, <laughs> I'm afraid that was his own fault. Do you ever feel like you're being too... Is, it, is there such a thing as being too cool to a politician? In a um, well, 
by definition, I suppose there is. It depends on the circumstance and uh, whether they deserve it or yeah. not at that particular time. I'm not sort of a cartoonist who thinks that all politicians are evil and to hell with a lot of them and, you know, sort of just lay in for the sake of it at all. They've got to have done something or said something or pretended something uh, to make it, you know, to make the point. I mean, uh, you were asking your question earlier about, um, you know, having you know, political stance or a, uh, I mean, mm. my whole point is that, um, that, you know, I don't do a drawing without the political idea first. Mm. And you've got to have the, um, you know, the idea before you can uh, hook the drawing onto mm. it. And it's that way around. And just on the sort of practicalities of how your day works, when do you decide, how do you decide and when do you decide your, uh, what you're going to do as the cartoon and how long does it then take to sort of appear as a finished oh right well i've well it's a day's work yeah and some people say is that all you do all day you know but uh you know it's a cartoon and people think that's a sort of kind of an easy life yeah but no i start off with the today program first thing in the morning and it just goes on through <coughs> and um after going to conference at the times because i work from the building yeah um i you know then work out what the subject going to be and Excuse then me for interrupting that's mm. quite interesting don't don't lose your thread but but it's quite interesting that you work in the building yeah, yeah. i mean so few people in your position would do that now but it, do, does that make you feel more kind of in the thick of things and where yeah. there are ideas flying around yeah it's so much i mean i used to do both i mean i've done both put it that way i've worked from home for a long time and then when i got a regular um sort of position on the times i came in um, and uh, it's just so much better because uh, you're not in isolation in the sense that yes. you can show things around as yes. this work, you know. All the material that you need, the ancillary stuff, all the pictures you want, yeah. all the... Well, you can get a lot now just from Googling things, I know, so you could easily do it at home to a degree, but not to the degree you I can do really here. that's really interesting. And actually, um, I just like... You discuss things yes. more, you discuss politics more than speaking great. to the wall. <laughs> yeah, do you think it makes it sort of newsier as well? So instead of yeah. you yeah. digesting yesterday's news yeah. in papers at home, you're sort of in the newsroom and... Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, are, you are able to sort of access absolutely the latest yeah. stuff, you know. But then I have a cut-off point anyway, you know, which is sort of about three, four o'clock, uh, where I know that it's going to be difficult to... You know, about this time. <laughs> I know it's difficult to turn around a drawing. But sometimes things break very yeah. late, some really major things, and you've just got to be prepared to rip up what you were doing and start again, you know, quickly. And so roughly how long does it take then to when, you, when you, you've got your idea? Right, I finish at eight, basically. Right. And um, I could go on a bit longer. I'm not sure exactly how much longer. <laughs> I haven't really tested that one. But I don't... Um, you know, I don't finish early. Yeah. I can't, I'm not sort of, you can finish at four o'clock and go home. Although you can sometimes, you can have your idea first. I mean, I got the idea for, for what I'm doing for tomorrow um, between 12 and 1 today, which meant I could have finished it probably by about four and gone off home if I'd wanted. But something always happens. <laughs> or or some someone says something more or you, something you can add to or do you know what I mean? Yeah. And the last thing you want to do is is to fall flat on your face and, and look as though you haven't been following what's been going on because, you know, it'd be awful if some cataclysmic thing happened at five o'clock and you were just swanning around. 
you know, sort of on the way home. And also, presumably, you don't want to spend all that time doing one of your amazing cartoons and then have to sort of bin it because something else has happened. If you've got to embark on that big job, you only want to do it. Well, I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm never too worried about that. Okay. You know, I mean, if something more... Yeah. There's, a, there's a wonderful thing that happens to us all. I don't know whether it's the same doing radio, um, but adrenaline is a wonderful yeah. thing. Mm. And uh, it does, you know, sort of keep you just on the ball, really. Um, and you're keen to do it. That's the point. You know, if something big enough did happen, I'd be more than willing to chop what I was doing and start again. Because you, you get inspired, don't yes. you? You get, oh, yes, 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 yes yeah. that's and, it. And is that a similar thing? In, when you're recording something like Dead Ringers, how much of it is sort of being rewritten as you go along? What's the sort of process for what we hear then on the Friday Well, the, the, I think they, they have a writer's meeting on the Tuesday. Uh, the recording's done on the Thursday. And we, so we, we, the performers, um, come in on a, a Thursday afternoon at two and see the script. Yeah. We read it through, we sort of discuss it, we say, what about doing this, what about doing that? And then the writers do a bit of rewriting and then we do a run-through on the microphone and then we do it. So that's all very quick. But as for the writing process, that's kind of, you know, it, it's, it's, it's percolating all yeah. the time. I mean, there are times where we've had to be very reactive, like on the... Um, on, on the referendum, the Brexit referendum and the um, and the election, where we were recording uh, for the for the Friday broadcast, the Friday six thirty broadcast, but because the elections were on the Thursday, they had to write the sh- they had to write the show really sort of through the night and during that morning for us to record it at the, on the Friday lunchtime, and then Bill had to very quickly edit it <laughs> on the Friday afternoon, and then it went out on the Friday evening. And, and but they were so exciting, you know, they were so great um, that they, they, they felt it. It, it, I, it made me sort of realise why people love working in news because there's that sort of thing of like that adrenaline kind of we're really, we're really doing something page, yes. you know. Simon Barnes our former chief sports writer was, was once I wrote about this in one of his books he was asked what do you do when you're doing a late night football match and you have 15 minutes to file a piece at the end of the game and you don't have enough time to write a really good piece he said I write a bad piece what's the other option <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and while we're on the subject just talk so how do you how do you do you always know what you're going to do the sketch on do you go to lots of things and then decide what you're going to well I have to do the diary column each day as of well of course um, and so I try and work I try and decide early on what I might sketch, but sometimes it will just become apparent. I, I work down in the Commons. We have a porter cabin on the on the roof there. Um, <laughs> glamorous. To, it, is, it, is, it is very glamorous. It installed it in 1970, <laughs> condemned as unsafe in 1994. It's still there. It's still there. Um, and so sometimes you'll be aware something's going on and you'll zip down to the chamber. But generally I sort of focus... I mean, if I'm not watching something in the chamber that I'll sketch, I'll focus on the diary. That gets done at six-ish. I don't then start writing the sketch normally till half six. And I try and get that done by half eight. Um, and there is the adrenaline, as you talk about, the fear, and you know, sometimes, to be honest, you just go to the bar. And <laughs> my very first sketch, because I was desperate to make a good impression, was about Nigel Farage. It was probably in keeping with Nigel Farage. I went off and had three pints before I started writing it, <laughs> and it put me in the right spirit. Um, but, you know, you, it just has to be done. And so in the election, when we had the debates, the Newsnight debates mm. and stuff like that, that was a case of filing within half an hour of it finishing. And you have some idea, you, you sort of write half the sketch in advance and then most of it gets chucked out, but you've got that safety net. And other days you can be watch a question time in the morning and you've got the whole day for it to percolate around in your head and sometimes your ideas might change. The lovely thing is when something happens very late in the day, I remember the, the Syria debate, December mm. 2016, oh, yeah. and Hillary Benn 
gave this fabulous mm. speech. Whatever you think about mm. the, yeah. the force of which way he was arguing, it was a, a yes, brilliantly well. delivered speech with his leader beside him who clearly hated every yes. word of it. Yeah. And the paper went at 10 o'clock and I think I was able to... I, I'd written a first draft on Cameron and Corbyn's speeches and tickled in a little and then had to rewrite it entirely on on Ben and it was the, the sketch began with this was the mouse that roared um, mm-hmm. it was completely out of character that he would give this defiant and I loved that r- yeah. writing something in half an hour is good fun well it just goes to show that if you've got a deadline you can spend you can have all day yes. mucking about and then you end up having to do it right at the end I find my deadline's much earlier because I've been on the red box email I have to have it done by half seven because it has to be subbed and like you said you can't have a blank page you just have to get on and write something and hope that there is the advantage that the later you leave it, the less chance there are for the subs to change it. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely right. But that's all we've got time for in part one of our end of term special. Join us in part two. We'll be doing a quiz to find out who's been paying most attention during the year. Plus, finding out what the panel's highlights or maybe lowlights of the political year so far have been. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on your Android device so the episode arrives as if by magic. And you can sign up to my morning email briefing at thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox. For now, from Jan, Peter, Patrick and me, it's goodbye. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odour control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.